Hi everyone, welcome back to episode 17 of UCC's Talking Pictures podcast. I am your host Shannon and I am delighted to announce today that I am doing a Barbenheimer themed episode. Like we all know Barbenheimer, she's an icon, she's a legend and she is the moment. So obviously I was going to have to do an in-depth episode on her today. And I am really glad to announce that I'm actually not the only person talking about Barbenheimer here today. Here with me, I have someone who I feel is very qualified to do this episode, and that is Eleanor, who is a good friend of mine. So, Eleanor, can you introduce yourself to us? Hello. Hello, my name is Eleanor. I'm a second-year commerce and Spanish student, and I would say I'm qualified for this episode because, one, I used to work in a cinema, and two, I have done Barbenheimer. I've seen both of the movies. And I'm ready to talk about it. That makes you more qualified than the rest of the public who have also seen Barbenheimer, I see. I know, yeah, because I was able to empathise with (laughs) the staff. (laughs) (laughs) I was able to empathise with them. Miserable time for your cinema workers and we we stand with you. We actually are, we don't, maybe the whole message is we don't like Barbenheimer. I know, yeah. Like after the like writer's strike in Hollywood, there needs to be like a (laughs) unionising of like, IMAX and Mahan and like Gates Cinema Cork. Like. I feel like there's probably like three other like cinemas in the county of Cork, but we're just not including them. We don't care enough. No. Feel. Don't care about you, Mallow, Middleton. <laughs> no. Another interesting fun fact about Eleanor is she is actually going to do this episode again in Spanish. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, for any Spanish listeners. You tricked me. <laughs> I know, like, the Spanish yards are, like, 10% of the podcast listeners. I don't know why, and I don't know who you are, but, yeah. And oh, my gosh. How do you have those, like, data <laughs> analytics? Yeah, no, we've got a bunch of random people. We've got, like, Denmark. We've got India. Don't know what's going on over there, but I'm glad you're tuning in. Maybe you just have a very clear speaking voice. They might be like, <laughs> okay, this is a good English podcast. And <laughs> this is a good way for me to learn my... Yeah, because, like... I don't know, whenever I'm listening to Spanish podcasts, like, as long as they're talking about something, like, relevant to my life, then it's, like, interesting. But, like, if they're just going through, like, what you talk about and you're leaving Sir Oral, then it's a bit boring. But, like, everyone knows about Barbenheimer. I know. This is a universal episode. This is just a joined empathy kind of between people. We're going to drop a little bit of facts just before, a little bit of background before we go into the films and our opinions. So um, I'm really interested to see do we have any, like, controversial takes or anything. I feel like for the most part they're going to be pretty basic. We'll probably be like, iconic, I stand. But, like, other than that. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway... If you guys know Christopher Nolan, he's kind of a cool director. He did Inception, Interstellar, The Prestige, The Dark Knight. Love all of those films. Barbenheimer would have actually never happened had there not been this war between Warner Bros. and Christopher Nolan. Because what happened was, it was COVID, it was like 2020. No films were in cinema, but Christopher Nolan was like, hey, you're going to release my film because I have some contract or something. And he dropped the film to net. Now, I haven't seen it, but I heard that it isn't great. Have you seen it? I I think I was talking to Chris and some of the other film UCC students. <laughs> the film bros. Yeah, and they said it was interesting. They said it wasn't as good as Oppenheimer, but they said it was like it was good, it was decent. I just heard it was really confusing, and I haven't seen, but I haven't seen it, so I can't like make any judgment and say whether it's good or bad. Yeah, they dropped in COVID, and it made like I think three hundred and sixty-five million or somewhere near that. And to be fair, everyone was mocking that back then, but that was really good for COVID. I don't think any other film made anywhere near as much money during it. 
But anyway, Warner Bros. started a new streaming service, um, I think it's called HBO Max, and they just decided to drop all of their films onto that streaming service, and that really pissed Christopher Nolan off. <laughs> like, he hates streaming services, he's a real believer in cinema, and he let out this statement being like, directors thought they were working with like the best studio in the world, and then they woke up the next morning, they're on the worst streaming service. So anyways, he parted ways with them and he joined Universal for Oppenheimer. That all seemed fine, except then Warner Bros. announced that they were going to be releasing Barbie on the same day as Oppenheimer. And that might not sound like a big deal, but the thing is, Christopher Nolan kind of has this monopoly on the mid-July, as in his films always come out during then and people don't ever put their films on the same time as them. But Warner Bros., they're feeling a bit petty, <laughs> wanted to kind of shade him a bit so they put Barbie on the same day and apparently he was really annoyed about that as well like now none of this is official technically like this is all kind of reported by the trades but no one can officially say whether this happened so I can't say it happened either but it's more than likely they did put the film on that day to piss Christopher Nolan off and then he was pissed off it worked it was just all about revenge so there's a whole another layer going on here that we didn't know about I know and I can just imagine how like petty he would be <laughs> he'd be like no I'm not changing my date they're not changing theirs and then they both made like hundreds of millions of dollars out of it yeah I kind of love it because it's like Warner Bros were literally just trying to get revenge on Christopher Nolan and then they helped him in the most unintentional way possible because Oppenheimer has made a lot more money I expect now than it would have if Barbie had never happened on the same day. Yeah, definitely, because I think when I was reading about it, all of the articles were a bit surprised at how much it had made, <laughs> considering it was such a like serious like historical drama. It's It does like address the Cold War and like the beginnings mm-hmm. of what would become the Cold War, and it's like, even with like the Russia-Ukraine conflict, like it's very current, so I think people were like, oh, it's so serious, people will probably prefer the like escapism of Barbie. But they both made money. There are some films that came out during COVID. The films that were actually a bit more grim didn't do as well as films that were like kind of more escapism, like you said. So it's actually true, probably with Russia and Ukraine, it probably would have affected Oppenheimer had Barbie yeah. not happened. I know, because it's so good, but it's so serious. Like, so serious. You literally go from being devastated to being more devastated to like <laughs> utter despair by the end of it. Like, There's no happy ending. <laughs> there's no resolution. He literally is just like, oh my God, I... Yeah, I did that. <laughs> he did <laughs> Time that. Time to face my consequences. <laughs> oh my gosh. But like also as well, it, it's really unusual did well because it's like, it's rated or... I think it's rated 15 or something. Or I don't think it's rated 18. It's three hours long, which I think is a major thing for a lot of people. And some of it's filmed in black and white, which isn't usually a detractor. But it's just a bit different. Some people aren't very fond of black and white. So it could have had everything sort of going against it. I get that. Like, it was really kind of out there. And it's, like, so, so different from Barbie. Yeah, I suppose that's where we'll move to next. Because Barbie kind of only started gaining traction. I was looking this up, too. So... The teaser trailer came out on the 4th of April. And that was sort of the first... Well, no, that wasn't the first official thing. Do you remember those photos of them, like, rollerblading on... Yeah, yeah. I do. They were, like, on Twitter and everyone was like, it's coming. And then people started debating whether um, Ryan Gosling was a good Ken. I was like, guys! I'm not going to lie. When I first saw him as Ken, I was like... I think it's the bleached hair. It hurt. It hurt my eyes. I know. The bleached hair was a bit painful. It did look a bit like a... A cheap wig. It was a bit of a shock to the to the brain I initially. Know. 
But then I think I got used to it more. And I was like, you know how he was such a heartthrob for like all of his career? Like, I feel like he hasn't been acting as much because I think he took time out to like focus yeah. on his family and stuff. But I know that like he was the heartthrob. Like he was in the notebook, but he had that like superstar, like Hollywood heartthrob status. So I'm like, I feel like he was perfect for Ken in mm-hmm. hindsight. Like, I'm not going to lie, I liked Ryan Gosling, but I wasn't as big a fan of him as the majority of girls that I knew were. But when I saw him as Ken, and when I saw him on the carpets, talking about, like, Kennergy, Ken-splaining... Yeah, oh my god, he lent into that, like, himbo personality, and he executed it perfectly. Like, I was like, this man is what's been missing from my life. Like, there's so many videos that came up on, like, my TikTok and my Instagram, and it's just him... Being like, you are Knopf. And I'm like, oh, fuck. (laughs) I know, yeah. And he was so hunky in it as well. He was so ripped in it. So ripped. Like, Love Island bombshell level Literally, yeah. If you named him, like, Chaz or something (laughs) and, like, got him to do an Essex accent, he could be a Love Island boy. Like, obviously, you know, appearances and everything. But, like, sometimes it is. (laughs) For Ken, it is. But uh, yeah, so after the rollerblading pics came out, then there was a teaser trailer. But then I suppose what we moved on to after that is probably the big counter-programming, and that was Barbenheimer. Now, yes. the Barbenheimer name came from apparently some Twitter journalist on like the 15th of April. Not going to get too specific because I don't know who this person is. And it really took off from there. And I think what made it so effective is those films could not be further apart from each other. Yeah, like I was reading about that counter-programming as well and like there were so many examples of other movies that had come out on the same date, like Mamma Mia and The Dark Knight yeah. in like 2008, I think. I was like, they literally could not be further apart. But I think like this counter-programming was different purely because like Barbenheimer once for one goes like it flows it's such a good name and then I think like instead of being each other's rivals it was kind of like the cast and like even like Tom Cruise I think was like yeah I want to go see both of them on the same day and then it kind of became like a big like movement like everyone was like we're gonna see them both yeah like when I went to the cinema um, I went to think a few days after it came out for Barbie but like everyone was dressed in pink and like that is so rare to see something actually online translate into real life you know how it was like when the Minions movie came yeah. out and everyone was like, three tickets for Minions, please. And everyone was like, who's getting dressed up in their suits, like black tie suits to go to the cinema. Like that's also what was so special and unique about Barbenheimer. Specifically the Barbie side of it yeah. was that everyone was like, they were dressing up, like they were going in pink, they were committed. And it was like, it was a whole event. And even the way they had the Barbie boxes yeah. in cinemas, like... It was just so fun and like it really was just another example of great marketing. Like they just engaged the audiences Mm -hmm. in every way, like on all social media. And then when you physically get to the cinema as well, like you can be part of it. Yeah, I think you're really right there because it's almost like it's almost like a movement in the way that like you can get involved in it. Like same similar to Minions with the suits, like you can be part of it and I think as well with Barbie like they had 150 million marketing budget I think which would be quite high for a film but it did pay off in this case oh that marketing team they are they're minted they're set for a life even the whole like the outfits for the press tour like Margot Robbie was just wearing Barbie themed outfits so they were specific Mm. dolls so it'd be like 
oh, she's wearing Barbie 1989 or something. Yeah, I know. I saw that on Twitter as well. And I was like, I think it was really also driven by, like, the fans on social media, like, doing all this extra digging, like, trying to find all the little, like, the cookies and stuff. And, like... I know she wore, like, a black dress one-to-one premiere, and people were like, no, you don't get it. This is the 1959 <laughs> cocktail party, Barbie. <laughs> I was like, guys. It's giving, um, like, you know, it's like people gatekeeping. It's like, um, reminds me of, like, Kate Bush when she came out. Well, not when she came out, but, like, when obviously Stranger Things 4 came out and running up that hill did really well. And those people were like, I've been listening to her since 1989. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm like... None of you were born <laughs> before the millennium. Like, you did not just know that this was the 1959 Barbie cocktail dress. Like, what? You can't be born before, like, 2000 and be, like, on Stan Twitter, I think. Or no, before, like, 1995. That's, like, my cut-off point. <laughs> Maybe 1998, because aren't they, like, if you were born in 1998, you're, like, 25 this year. Okay, that's a good cut-off. Yeah. We're doing the DiCaprio-style stuff here, 25 Yeah, yeah literally. <laughs> like, you are not allowed to be on Stan Twitter <laughs> telling, like, people to die <laughs> if you're 25 and over. Like, it's time to get a job. If you're 25 and under, it's okay. Still, you, if you want to send your death threats, I mean, that's the age to do it. But over 25, like, though... You're just a 24-year-old teenager. We uh, all make mistakes. Okay. <laughs> I'll move on to Oppenheimer. Because I don't... I think Oppenheimer did generate hype at first. Because the thing was, the cast for that is massive. So every day you wake up and it'd be like, this three-time Oscar winner is joining Oppenheimer. And you're like, there's already 50 people in the film. Like, when... I know, literally. Like, there were an all-star cast in both of them and I feel like that's kind of a testament to like the directors as well like people want to work with Christopher Nolan and they want to work with Greta Gerwig and I'm like that's great guys he just has such a such a like broad range of talent Mm -hmm. in like both movies and it just came out so good and I think it's a bit similar to Wes Anderson because a lot of the actors on Benheimer like to get that kind of the calibre of that cast and keep it under 100 million like some of those cast members like Robert Downey Jr I think for Avengers I think he got paid like 40 million or something for Avengers Endgame like which is literally half the budget of Oppenheimer but the thing is people want to work with Christopher Nolan so bad at Wes Anderson that they're willing to take pay cuts if it means they get to spend like the majority of actors in Oppenheimer I'd say they had about five minutes of screen time but they didn't mind it because they still got to work yeah. with Christopher Nolan we got to see <laughs> Got to see Roderick. <laughs> he looks good though. Yeah, like mm, that nineteen like forties war style suits him. Yeah, my gosh. Like literally, I wonder if he's seen the memes and he was like, "This is the perfect time to make my acting comeback." And like Christopher Nolan was probably like, "Yeah, fuck it, it'll be good. Like it'll be good for a promo." Like the same with like um, Josh Peck from Drake and Josh. Yeah, I was like, "Why is?" What is he doing with those knobs at the atomic <laughs> bomb? Like, well... Because the thing is, Christopher Nolan does know Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Roods. Like, he said in an interview, and I was like, okay, your man who's played Roderick, he hasn't really worked consistently in anything big for, the, like, the past decade. So did Christopher Nolan really see him and be like, hey, that's Roderick. I want him in my film, in probably my yeah. Oscar-winning three-hour biopic. I know. <laughs> I like to think that he just had a little nerd moment, and he was like... <laughs> 
I love Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Roderick Rules. Please come work on my movie. That's what I said, I think, the most about the film. Like, obviously, you talk about the performances and, like, story. But then the third thing is, like, but did you know that Roderick is in it? And everyone's like, what? Oh, my God. Mind blown. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, tell us about your Oppenheimer experience. You know, like, what was the prep like? What did you think of the films? My prep was basically, I went to see it after doing an eight-hour shift. And mm. I got myself a luxurious Tesco meal deal in Mahan Point. And then the queue, first of all, you know in Mahan Point how like the queue for the food, it went all the way out to where the escalators what? were to go downstairs. Yeah. So no. I just went straight in. I was like, no. Not today, not today. Satan. Not today. Not getting because I just didn't need popcorn. Like I was like you know what, I'm full and I really just want to enjoy the movie. That's so brave of you. I know. <laughs> How did I ever get through that? But also, I knew it was three hours long and I was like, I can't, I physically cannot eat or drink anything because I don't want to miss a single second of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I got in there, it was jammers, it was packed, but everyone was very, very well behaved. Like, it was silent. Because it is the kind of movie that kind of silences people. Like, it's Mm -hmm. so, I suppose, like, horrifying, like, the magnitude of what they were doing, the magnitude of how many people died, that it does kind of, like, shock you a bit, and you're like, okay, I'm not taking out my phone to, like, put up a cute little Snapchat (laughs) right now. Like, I can't do it. But it was amazing. Like, it was so well executed. It was just, like... The black and white, I think, was such a clever touch because it was like it separated it from one person's point of view and another person's point of view. Like much like, you know, in Twilight, how they use like different (laughs) saturation. (laughs) No, I'm being serious. There is some film logic here. Okay, yeah. yeah. The first Twilight, whenever Bella is on her own, being a sad little different little indie little girl she's just moved away she's in washington it's a really a low saturation yeah it's a low saturation because everything looks blue so she looks even paler and more sickly but whenever she's with edward they turn up the saturation so it's really like warm and yellow so you can tell that she's like happier when she's with him that's what they did in twilight because they had like indie film directors on the first twilight yeah, actually, something I find so funny about Twilight, if you look at the soundtrack, it's, like, the indie artist of the indie artist. Like, they had, like, Beach House, Grizzly Bear, Tom York, all of these people. Like, obviously, Tom York was big, but, like, one of his best songs was written for Twilight New Moon, and I don't think Radiohead fans can come to terms with that. <laughs> I have to say, though, even though they did have indie directors, the lighting in that film is always going to be strange to me. Like, now it's great to know that there's something behind it, but there's yeah. something behind it doesn't dilute the fact that it's also, like... I know, it's a bit jarring on the eyes. It's a bit like, like, wow, they they don't look well. I'm not going to lie, though, I love that film because there's not another film like it out there. Like, and there will never be another Twilight. You know, there will never be another first Twilight. Yeah, I know. Like, it kind of started, like, teen movies. It... Well, maybe not, but it definitely started the trend for, like, young adult fiction that could then be turned into movies. Like, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have, like... um, to Kill a Mockingbird. No, not To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> not a young adult fiction movie, guys. <laughs> um, I meant to say... Who knew Twilight invented anti-racism? <laughs> <laughs> Boo Radley, eat your heart out. Like, 
the Hunger Games, the Hunger Games. Sorry, I'm thinking of <laughs> Mocking Jay. It's yeah, the, okay. Yeah, I remember I, I always like in school we studied to kill a mockingbird, and I always be like to kill a mocking Jay, and they were like, "Girl, no, <laughs> stop it." Girl, you cannot say that on your junior so please. <laughs> no, we we can't. You actually apparently you can't. Anyways, someone's trying to limit like the English language freedom, but <laughs> they're trying to limit the expression literally. of teenage girls. Oh like, my god, why are they so trying sad. to oppress people? But um, yeah, like you're right. Like without Twilight, wouldn't have gone the Vampire Diaries, the Vampire Vampire Academy. I think that was there as well. Mm-hmm. Divergent, Maze Runner, Twilight made all of those possible. But I, I just think. Twilight is so iconic in the sense that it's a film where you are never going to get that level of kind of lighting, strange acting, like the baseball scene. And the thing was, like, it didn't even get that bad reviews when it came out. It's It was, like, a 50%. So people were kind of, like, yeah, like, there's something really off-putting about it. But at the same time... <laughs> yeah, like, there is something very peculiar about I can't quite Bella. And, like, I don't know, Kristen Stewart, I think she's a good actor. Um... But the like little like gasps she does. Now I read the first Twilight book and I I honestly think she does a good job of portraying Bella because nowadays we could probably diagnose Bella with like some kind of like Psychiatric anxiety disorder. disorder. Yeah. yeah. Like she was very on edge and like tense and like even in the book she's overthinking a lot and she has a lot of like negative self talk. It's kind of sad. Oh. She'd gone to therapy. Maybe self love. But <laughs> instead she found her vampire boyfriend. Oh, it kind of shows so that like she'd put up with like that toxic relationship because her self worth just doesn't, you know, it's not elevated above it. So. I know, but I also think it's like definitely the thrill of like, does he want me? We can't be together. I've got two boys fighting over me, <laughs> and like, I don't know. He's like, he's two hundred years older than me. It'll never last. It'll never work. Like it does. I agree with you, like, there's no other movie like it that could encapsulate, like, the sheer broodiness of, like, a teenage girl. It is really does encapsulate it, because, like, girl is getting, like, like, two guys are fighting over her, one's a vampire, one's a werewolf. She doesn't seem to, like, have the most sparky personality, so it's like... (laughs) I know, like, she's really not doing that much. (laughs) She doesn't have any hobbies, as far as we can see. Does she, like, read or something? I think, like, that's, you know, why. Yeah, her favourite colour is brown, like, okay. But I do think, like, you really couldn't do Twilight today because, first of all, it would probably be a Netflix movie that people would take the piss out of a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, they would just, they wouldn't take it seriously. But I feel like Twilight, like, those indie directors, they were maybe doing a bit of it ironically, but most of it was pretty serious. Like, they took it serious. The actors took it serious. They were like, this a work of art mm-hmm. like we love this Beep. sorry I started talking about the different perspectives with the black and white and Oppenheimer but the Twilight conversation is it just always took over. needed yeah it's always yeah. more important but actually interesting fact about Twilight the reason Oppenheimer was made by Christopher Nolan was because Robert Pattinson he worked on him with Tanesh he gave him like a book of speeches by Oppenheimer yeah and then uh, Christopher Nolan went through it and he was like okay I might adapt it now and that's how he ended up adapting the film. They shot it under two months because, like, Christopher Nolan, that's something I really like about him. Well, apparently he's a hermit, first of all, in the sense he doesn't have a phone, doesn't have an email address, doesn't have a computer either. So he's just completely focused on his work, which I think is really oh. rare to find in the 21st century. That is 
exceptionally rare. Like, I'd say he definitely would keep up in news with newspapers, but you're never going to find him on Twitter. Like, and dead right. Good for Christopher it's Nolan. Hellscape <laughs> on there. So, but a lot of his films are done really practically. Like, um, I think Interstellar. Like, they had like the cornfields, and they were miles long. He grew all of them, and they actually made profit on it because they like harvested the corn and then they like sold it. Oh my god! Um, and then in this film as well, like even for the explosions, which what they did was mm. I think they got miniatures and then they used an explosion on them and then they got that up close but at least he didn't go to the extent of actually bombing a country like people thought yeah, he's dedicated to practical effects so like at least we got out of that one yeah he's he's very dedicated i remember that that people were like there's no cgi in it but he was using a bit of vfx mm-hmm. which i'm honestly not sure what the distinction is but i know vfx is like less it's more like just enhancing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like filler versus plastic surgery. <laughs> like CGI <laughs> is plastic surgery, like completely reconstructs it. But I think VFX is like filler where it just enhances footage that you already have. I kind of love that comparison. That's something he's really kind of committed to. And, you know, it did pay off. Like he always goes under budget on films. He always goes under time. Like he gets things done because like you're not even allowed to have a phone on set. That's really Yeah, he doesn't yeah, let actors. When you said two months, I was like, How? Like Yeah. The sheer amount of like three hours, there's so much dialogue. There's so much editing that needs to be done as mm-hmm. well for all of it. Like And to get all those actors as well. It's really interesting as well hearing about the casting process because for like Killian Murphy, obviously Killian's done a lot of work with him in other films, but his wife gave him a ring and she's like, "Hi, would you be interested in doing a leading role for um, Christopher Nolan?" And like Christopher Nolan, he said for years he always he's never given Killian Murphy a lead role, but he said he's always looking for like a specific role for him, mm-hmm. and it came along here. But like it's really interesting hearing the dynamic between the two of them because Christopher, both I think Christopher and Killian are like we don't really keep in contact with each other outside of when we're filming because like they're both very professional private people i know yeah like i feel like i could see how they would become such i suppose close co-workers like i know christopher nolan and killian murphy kind of have like a little bit of a bond that like christopher nolan has cast him in so many movies and i feel like I see how their um, personalities would click, honestly, because, like, isn't there, like, a, an interview where, like, um, people are asking Killian Murphy about, like, the memes? And, he's like, like what is that? Her. Yeah, he's like, uh, what is a meme? And I'm like, you have two kind of, like, yeah. like, pre-teen? I think so, yeah. They're, like, 10 or 11 kids, and you don't know what a meme is. Like, oh. Oh, there's this, like, there's so many different videos, but I always remember the one there, like, what's your favourite emoji? And he's like, I prefer to use the English language. And I'm like... Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, that is so true. <laughs> but I actually love that. I think, you know, that's a great personality to have. Just like, because he just seems like an actor. He has no interest yeah. in the fame side of it. He really expresses that with words or just actions in a lot of his interviews, that he's really just there for the love of the work. Because, like, this is really his first time on such a, like, mm-hmm. worldwide, like, this movie is, like, a phenomenon. And, like, yeah. Barbenheimer is a phenomenon. And I feel like... I feel like after this, he'll go back to, like, his, like, solitude. He just... Because doesn't he live in Dublin now? He moved back. So yeah. I feel like he'll just go home to Ireland. He'll do his other bits. And they'll all be, like, really good movies. But, like, you can just tell he's not in it for the fame. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like, I feel like him and Christopher Nolan are very well matched in that sense. They can talk about, like, 
their crossword puzzles, <laughs> like whatever they do because they don't have because phones. It, yeah, we're like, what do they do without social media? Even in the sense that, like, they had castings the night of. A lot of films have them. I know Wes Anderson does as well. It was like Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh. Like they're all there having their castings, but Killian never went to any of them. And to be fair, he was on a really strict diet for the film. Emily Blunt said he was eating only like an almond a day. The Yolanda Hadid diet. Yeah. I don't know if it's um, <laughs> don't know if I think she might have been exaggerating, but basically he was on a very minimal diet. So I imagine it couldn't have been very fun joining your like coworkers and seeing them eat yeah. food. But I also feel like he probably just wanted a bit of time for himself. He's just a very rare type of person to find in twenty first century, where you're having someone who has no interest in fame. No interest in social media, like there is no kind of social climbing. Yeah, like, yeah, like he really does not care. And like the thing is, like he's a thirst trap. Like for a lot of people, he <laughs> is like he is so many people celebrity crushes. There's so I know, many yeah. elements from TikTok. He does not care. You know what? Considering he's not that down with the memes, I wonder does he know about all the like the alpha males who put like quotes like oh. "never stop grinding" over pictures of him. As yeah, yeah from Peaky, Peaky Blinders. Blinders, yeah, because I watched like five seasons of Peaky Blinders. I think there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. Tommy Shelby and Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think um, I'd say he's not aware of it, but the thing is, I do remember. I think it was last month that there was some conservative politician, or there's some conservative something. They used a clip from the show um, of Tommy Shelby, I think, and then the Peaky Blinders creators were like. Oh we God. don't condone the use of it. We don't support the message of it. Like basically, the yeah. type of people who use it in this way we don't agree with and we don't you know they're not reflective of our views i'm like all these like alpha Alpha males (sighs) alpha (laughs) male what do you even call them like incel influencers (laughs) like all of them using the tommy shelby memes and then being then putting like the most cringe like never stop grinding yeah (laughs) make money moves in silence boys like what (laughs) like if you actually met Killian Murphy like he would hate you like yeah. you would not get along like like uh, he's very like pro um I I, I, d- I wouldn't just say progressive but he's very pro kind of like the rights you want him to be pro on like he showed up at the abortion yeah. rally yeah, I remember that after like Oppenheimer came out everyone was like oh I remember he was like standing out in the rain with all the like uh, campaigners for the repeal the eighth yeah. marches and I was like that is amazing and like I think there was something else like he he sent like a thank you note to the main organizers of the campaign as mm-hmm. well. I know it was really sweet. Overall, he's a great actor, and he just seems like a normal person who just happens to do this job. Like the job just happens to involve a bit of fame. I was going back to the film because we spent a good bit of time with Killian Murphy, and I don't think we were <laughs> wrong to. But yeah, what did you Nobody actually think about the film yourself? I thought it was really good. I thought it was like, for three hours, I thought the pacing was perfect. Like, it really didn't feel like three hours. It didn't drag. And I think the way they cut back and forth between the black and white kind of memories, and then there were just so many details mentioned in the first, like, 45 minutes that they kind of wrapped it up. They came full circle in the last, like, half hour. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really good. Like, it was a very good kind of storytelling because it just seemed to go around in a circle yeah and yeah i just think all the acting all the like set design the general menacing vibe of everyone who's like involved in the military like the u.s military that was all very accurate um 
I thought Matt Damon was lovely. <laughs> you know, I love Matt Damon. He's such a like nice, uh, like, well, I don't know him personally, but he gives off such a like friendly vibe. And just to see him be like kind of an asshole, but to also kind of like Offenheimer, I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I like the film. I actually, I do think I ended up preferring to Barbie, and I did really like it a lot, particularly the last minute of the film. Like at the end, when it's like, you know, we've already kind of set off a chain reaction like it's kind of so scary because like one day the world probably will be destroyed yeah by nuclear weapons yeah and that goes back to what i was thinking earlier about like how the cold war is alive and well she's alive and thriving she's alive and thriving like russian u-boats off the coast of ireland like oh (laughs) and it all started with this one man like even if he set out to make the bomb as like a personal challenge Mm. for himself but just for it to set off that one day probably will be the destruction of human nature, um, yeah. if not climate change, like whatever, one of those. But it is going to, it's ultimately going to lead to the demise of like humanity. And I, to know that, to know back in the 1940s that you could have done that. like Yeah, I know. Like, it is a bit intense. Bit. Not gonna lie, I do think I ended up preferring it to Barbie, but I'm like, I'll probably rewatch Barbie, yeah, rather yeah. than Oppenheimer. Like, I'm not pulling out Oppenheimer on like at Christmas, <laughs> like <laughs> family all together, yeah, I know, yeah. gather around everyone. I think it's a good film, but actually, it's not my favorite of Christopher Nolan's. I think it's his most masterful film in terms of like the way it was shot and how it was done, but I actually still, I put like fourth, like, I still prefer Inception. The Prestige. I love The Dark Knight. I think that's a perfect film. But um, I think there is just something missing from it for me. I, I think there's a, a lack of emotion behind it. I I see what you mean because everyone is so, like, stern-faced in it. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's very cold and, like, to the point. And, yeah. like, it does lack a certain human quality of empathy, maybe. Yeah. Because they're just like, we're bombing them. Like... Christopher Nolan, like, he is a really clinical filmmaker, but then I think he's probably one of my favourite directors, but then I feel like just in that sense, it's harder to feel kind of the connection between the characters because they feel more like characters for a story than they do I for know, a reflection. Yeah. And I think I think that was useful in how it's like a anti-war film, so you're not building any sympathies no, for No, you're not. But I do think the way, like... I know everyone was pissed off by that one lawyer, but, like, I think the last scene with him and no the last scene with the well that one <laughs> sorry it just uh, if anyone did like chemistry or physics yeah one of those in school it's just so funny seeing the film it's like the avengers of physicists you're like there's neil yeah. Bohr. yeah there's albert einstein you're like i know these people but besides no, point. i honestly i recognize niels Bohr <laughs> and like oh who's the one heisenberg heisenberg no, yeah. yeah but like the others i was like I would have known their names, so like every time they mentioned that, I was like, "Oh my god!" Even though like I'm not really into physicists, like that's not my yeah. passion. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be a physics podcast. Yeah, no good. Obviously, we could probably still talk about the movie for the sake of it. Like, we probably could. If anyone has a physics podcast, you're willing to like donate to me for an hour, do mm. it. I won't have anything productive or value to add, but I can do it though. Yeah, yeah, I think. The last scene between Oppenheimer and the lawyer, where the lawyer is just like, well, you kind of had to know, like, they were going to use this. So, like, suddenly you feel bad after the bomb's been dropped, but, like, you spent three years building the bomb. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I think that's such a valid point. Like, I think 
I know everyone was irritated by the lawyer, but he was right because yeah, like kind of had a point. Yeah, because like okay, like Oppenheimer's a bit of a womanizer. Sorry, Florence Pugh. <laughs> He's like he's also eccentric. He also kind of just does what he wants. Like he's eccentric, but also egocentric. Yeah. So it does kind of alienate the audience from him a bit. Like you, like he's a bit of a dickhead, and he's very stubborn, and he's just not even that nice to his own wife. Mm -hmm. So it does make it hard to really like him. Like he's not a likable person, and then to see him like freak out and like actually fully face the consequences of his actions. It does feel more like a character study. Like you're just there to analyze, but you're not really, you don't feel any real empathy or sympathy. Like you can't really identify with him. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that was sort of integral to the movie as well because, like, you can't feel sad no. or bad for these people. Like, they were getting paid so much. They'd been told that they were geniuses their whole life. Like, even when all the, like, physicists are, like, squabbling, it's all just like, men being like my dick is bigger no my dick is bigger like it was just a dick swinging contest i think one thing about christopher nolan that i do think about is the way he writes woman because he's never really written a lead female character and in this film i like i know there was that one scene with your one who came up they're like they try to make me a secretary but i went to harvard and he's like oh my god join in and it's like woo feminism but um <laughs> outside of that like i don't think florence Pugh and emily blunt had much to do particularly florence Pugh. now i think emily blunt definitely came through in that scene in the end where she's in the getting interrogated and she just keeps throwing his mm. own questions back at him but florence Pugh, i actually did feel was quite wasted for the film yeah i know and i feel like i'm waiting for the like fan edits of her because she looked fab <laughs> she looked brill but it was kind of like it's just her role it was just like mentally ill side <laughs> character like hey. just woman who is really like stepping stone yeah, in a man's really journey to like being a husband like and like mm. in real life there was a lot more to her like her character in real life and I obviously know they're working with a very limited run time with the amount of actors that they have but the things like Florence Pugh was like the fourth highest build in the film in terms of like star power and yeah she got like i really thought she had like a more significant um, role yeah. yeah i thought she had more lines anyway yeah, yeah. like i'd say she, she's on screen for maybe five minutes and like they made such a big deal about like the nudity scene between her and killian but the thing was like they were talking about it with killian nothing there's no nudity with killian and i think you know that's grand like there doesn't need to be but then like florence just like basically her tits out for like whatever yeah, much time. I know. I was just and like, I was like, why are you trying to drum up a sex scene when it's just really Florence Pugh doing the work here? Yeah. I just felt like they really hyped up these sex scenes. They were like, oh my God, like Killian Murphy. And he, I think he even did an interview where he was talking about it. Like it was such a big ask. But at the end of the day, like he actually didn't show anything. I know. I'm like, at the end of the day, you crossed your legs. That's it. Nothing. You read some Sanskrit. <laughs> you dirty dog. <laughs> and like, he he was just topless. Like I was like, yeah, Killian. Realistically, if you were gone to the beach on holidays with your family, you'd be as exposed. Like, Literally, yeah. Maybe they did shoot stuff and they didn't put in, but it looked like framed in such a way where obviously he wanted to conceal himself. The sorry to interrupt you, but like the sex scene that I really hated, that I was just like, this is so unnecessary. To was the it the film. Sanskrit one? Kind okay, the Sanskrit one was a bit cringe. I need to know if that actually happened in real life because otherwise, I'm like, why did you like who like pulls out Sanskrit and they're like, read this specific line on page 204? Yeah. Like, was that just chance? Like, 
when they're in the deposition room and his oh. wife is like picturing Florence yeah. on top of him. Like I was just like, ew, 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 ew. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, it was so much. I think it's because I've watched The Idol recently, which was like, oh, so, like, yeah. oh my God, women I, are objects for real. Like that's, that's what The Weeknd wanted us to take away. Yeah. Oh God, don't get me into that I know. show. Like now I, I have to say I didn't see it either, but it just sounds like Sam. You see, the thing I hate about those shows is like guys like Sam Levinson hide behind and be like, we're actually empowering women because... Yeah. We're showing them what's actually like. And I'm like, you know you can show what's actually like without uh, having to exploit the actors themselves. Yeah, like, you know you don't really have to make it sexually explicit to discuss women's experiences, but yeah. you're not a woman and you probably don't really know that many women. Probably not. Like, I'm like, Sam Levinson, how many female friends do you have, babe? That's why I just, um yeah, I just, I hate that because I feel like it's just guys being like, oh no, we're actually impairing women. Like, stop hiding yeah. it. They're like using third wave feminism and then being like, no, literally. we're. And it's like, no, you're not. We can literally see it. But they're like, no, you just don't get it. And it's like, yeah, shut the and fuck it's up. like, I actually am bringing back slut shaming for your horny fantasies. Like, yeah, I don't care. Like, oh, that yeah. I just, when I saw the thing with like Florence Pugh on his lap, I was just like, she literally is just like, crazy naked woman in mm-hmm. this movie like it was so unnecessary like that one scene I was like you could have conveyed how upset and jealous Emily Blunt's character was without all of this like I liked the flash just because it reminded me very like psychological thriller horror it didn't seem like Christopher Nolan film but the thing was just like just the nudity like the mm-hmm. thing is like I'm grand at nudity in films but it's kind of when you look at like that and you're like did that have to be there yeah it's always it, like oh the woman has everything out once I don't think Christopher Nolan has written any female character as strong as his male characters and to be fair Interstellar yeah. I think they're grand Inception I think they're pretty good as well um but other than that, yeah. Dunkirk, no woman. Fair enough. <laughs> World War One, So fair. <laughs> yeah, and Tanette, I don't know. Though I did hear there's a woman that film and she was like trying to destroy the world or something. She's like, but everyone in the world would die, including my son. And that like changed her character then because she's like, oh shit, if everyone dies, that probably means my son won't make it as well. Didn't think about that. Yeah, so... I'll have to watch Tenet. Tenet. Yeah, I always called it Tanae. Tanae, guys. But yeah, so I think Oppenheimer, I think it's going to win a lot. I'd say it'd be nominated for at least... I think it might get the 10 nominations in the Oscars because it's done technically really well. But Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like there was something missing from it. I think there was some emotion. It felt like... I think a very straightforward retelling of someone's life without kind of any stylistic flair. Yeah, I get you. Like, we actually going back to our previous conversation there's not actually that much emotion in it mm-hmm. it's kind of like it's I like here's know. his life yeah it's like here's his life he does a b c and d what i thought was probably a good choice was though i didn't wasn't expecting it that they didn't actually show the bombing of hiroshima and nagasaki yeah and i feel like especially when we're so used to seeing like violence that's in, like, it movies and video games and like the news and stuff and I think it was a real testament to his storytelling that, like, we understood how devastating it was without ever having to see the actual explosion. Like, we saw, we didn't even see the testing of the explosion. We saw, like, uh, orange clouds and, like, a white flash on Killian Murphy's face. And we all knew. We were all like, this yeah. is bad. And I feel like it's so grim because, you know, after that moment, they're all cheering and clapping. And you, when you think about it, you're like, they are cheering for the death of what is 
ultimately going to be 200,000 people. But like, yeah. and it's just because at, at that moment of victory, but then like 10 minutes later, when they go through the numbers and you're like, this is real people. This isn't even a fictional number. I know, yeah. It's like, crazy. it's banned in Japan. Like they are not showing Oppenheimer, which I understand because mm. they might feel like ultimately they're making money off a guy who killed so many of their citizens but as well i actually saw yesterday there's a lot of controversy with barbie as well because um you see because of obviously barbenheimer warner Bros. are really leaning to that marketing that like i think i don't know who maybe it's japanese government maybe who's ever in charge of that kind of media stuff we're like we're not really comfortable with you doing this here so now a lot of people mm. don't want to watch barbie because it's so strongly tied to Oppenheimer yeah I suppose that is the flip side of the counter programming yeah and I think like Warner Bros did put out a statement they're like oh we're very sorry like that shouldn't have happened because like it Oppenheimer is never going to be a joke over there here it's like lol what film's gonna win a plastic doll or one about the guy who like created the bomb yeah I mean like oh there's just one scene in the film that bothers me you know the scene where they're picking the cities and your mom's like oh we shouldn't do this one because it's like culturally relevant to them I was like Mm -hmm. the fuck like when he's like me and my wife holidayed it's in really Kyoto. nice yeah it's really nice oh that's i think that was the worst scene one of the worst for me like just the way he said that he's like oh we won't do this one to them because you know the city's important to them and he's like what is wrong with like yeah like such a flimsy statement like does it really mean nothing to you like but it's really well done to be fair I think that was a good point to having in, like, it's just so distant to them. Yeah, I think that was my thoughts on Oppenheimer. I think I gave it four stars, but I don't think it's his best work. And I feel like it was a bit really, it was really calculated and clinical, which makes sense for Mm. the type of film it was and for, like, how it was shot. But, yeah, I don't think I'd watch it again unless I was looking for something specific. Like, it's not a fun Sunday (laughs) rerun. I know, yeah. It is kind of like you watch it once and you, like you're amazed by it but mm-hmm. I do think it was kind of hampered a bit by the fact that it's historical like it has to be kind of a retelling literally so yeah. it almost did end up kind of like those narrative stories they used to make you write in primary school where you, when you come <laughs> back you'd be in first class and you'd be like okay I did this with my summer and then I went camping there's and no feeling behind holidays. it anymore no. there's nothing there you really just did go to the shop and that was all there was to it that was all there was to it and that's okay when you're seven but and you're Christopher Nolan <laughs> I think um, though I think Kelly Murphy will get nominated for the Oscar I don't think he has any big competition so far this year so I'd say there's a good chance he'll win I think yeah. Robert Downey Jr. and Emily Blunt will get nominated but I don't know if, I don't think they'll win personally no Emily her screen time was too short as well I think she'll definitely get nominated but I don't think she's going to win for yeah. her I think Robert Downey Jr. You know, I think because it's like one of the first roles he's had outside of the Marvel Universe, yeah. I feel like I would like to see him win. Or like even, I think Matt Damon will get the nomination maybe, but I don't think he deserves it. Um, yeah, I think that was my thoughts on Oppenheimer. I think it's a great film. Did prefer to Barbie. I saw Barbie after also in Mahin. Um I did like Barbie a lot. I think it was top tier in terms of acting and production. But I actually thought the story was a bit messy. Loads of people love it. But I think I think the first third just feels very like... go. It just keeps going back and forth. Okay, let me remember. Let you dissect <laughs> your thoughts. Yeah. Hmm. You are free to disagree. If you love Barbie, express it. <laughs> I do like it. I think it was like... You could tell it was kind of following the formula of, like, you know, 
everything's fine. We have a problem. We have yeah. a journey to find a solution. Like it, it was following that kind of pattern that all kind of kids movies follow. That's very like simplistic, but I thought it worked. Like it stuck to the formula, but we had a lot of like side characters. I think it might have been a bit overwhelming with all the sheer amount of celebs that you recognize that you're like, oh my God, that's that Barbie. That's that Barbie. But it was just so fun. I was just like, I'm going to go with this. Mm-hmm. But why did you think the first, like, third was messy? I don't know. I didn't... I just don't think I thought the film was what I thought it was. I think, like, I expected the film for them to be to go into the human world and having to deal with that. But then they go straight back to the Barbie world. And then it turns out Ken has taken over Barbie world and turned into, like, the yeah. patriarchy. Honestly, and I get that. Because from some of the, like, photos of it or, like screenshots I did think they were in the human world for a lot longer yeah I thought they were like fighting the bad guys in the human world that's what I thought as well but um, I'm really conflicted in how like the message was done because it's like very feminism 101 but I'm like I find it hard to tell was it like too kind of what's the word base level very Very base level yeah it doesn't really go much deeper but I'm like maybe is that good for the audience who hasn't who's not aware of that kind of thing I know because I'm like it was such a big production it was so like it was just so broad so I feel like they had to appeal to a lot of people because it was being released like worldwide and it was such a big production and they knew so many people would go and see it so I feel like it kind of had to be watered down a little bit like it had to be a bit of like feminism 101 like the very basic basics like let's have men and women be equal at the end now I think Barbie and Ken were amazing I think Alan I really liked Alan as well mm. um, but I feel Love like a lot of the other characters I think it was because the amount of characters in the screen time I don't think they got as much as uh, they would have liked to I think yeah. the Ken played by um, Saimu Liu I, th- I thought he was fantastic too and I would have loved to have seen more of him but I feel like your one played by America Ferrara like the mother and her daughter I didn't yeah, think they were too I know oh the daughter really annoyed me like oh my god like it was like I, I don't know it just it felt like what an adult how they would write a teenager now based on what yeah, they think they're like yeah yeah she was a bit cringe I feel like she kind of represented like second wave feminism where they were like a little bit they would kind of side eye like women who wanted to stay home mm-hmm. and like work from the office because they were like no like you have to be you have all this freedom you have to like do whatever like reject pink and all that yeah like, I feel like that was kind of her bag. But then I suppose Barbie was taking it back to maybe a more, like... Like, her mom loving Barbie as well. I feel like that was taking it back to, like, we can all be women. We can be feminists, but we can still like pink things. Like, you don't have to reject yeah. typically feminine things. I don't know. What wave is that? That's, like, fourth wave know. feminism. What wave of feminism? Are we I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's, like... The waves keep on coming. <laughs> The waves keep on coming. I feel like the last, like, um, ten years or so, like, I feel like they'll probably name that, like, the fifth wave of feminism <laughs> with, like, OnlyFans, where it's like, okay, women have lots of freedom, and you can do it, but you're still kind of being exploited by men. Yeah. By being on OnlyFans. Uh, I like. think, yeah, I think that goes back to the other, again, just this idea, like, yeah, you can be needed on screen if you want to, and it can be empowering for you, but, like, it can also still be used by guys yeah, who are like, telling you that it's empowering. Just because you can now doesn't mean you have to. Yeah. And it's such a conflicting thing because, obviously, there are some people who want to do it. So, like, by saying that to them, some people are like, yeah, but I still actually want to do it. So you can't, like, you don't want to come off as being like, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I feel like. 
it's it's hard line. But I think I what I realized in the film was um your one speech at the end, America. I can't remember her character's name, but like the mom. Yeah. When she's saying like it won't have to be this and that, like that's just it. It's kind of like that there. Like oh, you can that one. When I was watching that, I was like, maybe I should like print this out or like embroider it on a tapestry maybe and I should, hang like, it in my tattoo home. It, like yeah. down my back. Like, oh, that one was so good. That really encapsulated everything. And it was also like I feel like with some of the script like that, you could kind of tell Greta Gerwig's like age through it as well. I was like, I feel like this is very much like a millennial who's like gone through like the daughter phase, the daughter's phase of like, I'm not a girl, like I'm a feminist, I hate girly pink things. And then coming back around and being like, actually, I don't need to be like a man to be equal to them. Yeah. And then just realizing the like double standards that even when you're practice even when you're attempting to practice feminism you're kind of trapped in like the double standards it's like yeah so tricky because like even they were just saying like you know you could say to a woman you're like oh if you're doing something like only fans you could be exploiting yourself but at the same time maybe they want to show off their body after like years of being told not to it's like it's this yeah. dub- like there's a double line for everything it's like you can be a stay-at-home mom and you want to spend time with your kids but then for some women they're like no you should go out and work but then mm-hmm. for the ones working they're like but then you don't get to like have the full experience of being a mother because if you're spending so much time away and it's like for everything you do there's an opposite to it and neither of them yeah. are right i know neither neither of them are right so you really have to just do what you want but god damn yeah i thought that was a point of the film where it's like okay they like they really know what they're talking about mm. yeah i was like i do think it was very well done, like the script. I feel like they should win something for oh, like yeah. screenplay. Like I was I, just like, I, even the jokes, like they were so good. And they were like, I don't know, they were like broad enough that like, I feel like I was laughing at them, but I'm also like, you know, I think like younger kids would have gotten them and it might have, like the deeper meaning yeah. might have gone over their head, but like it was still funny. I think um, as well, I really want Ryan Gosling to win Best Supporting Actor. I think he'll definitely yeah. get a nomination, but just the way he embodied that role, like the physicality of it, like. Yeah, like the body movements. Yeah, just like every, the actual. Like when he was going down the car, I think, and he was just like, I don't know, just the way his whole body shifted going down. And I actually would hope that he'd win it over Robert Downey Jr. Because I think mm. his role was more challenging, but he committed to it. Yeah. I think, like, Ken, he gave us an, a performance. Like He, he really did, yeah. Uh, career peak, I would say. I think so, too. Like, I think I actually enjoyed Ken more in the film than Barbie. That's not to say that I didn't like Barbie. Margot Robbie isn't amazing. But just, yeah. like, he was so entertaining to watch. Oh but um, I think ultimately, I think they're both very good films. I don't think either of them lived up to what I thought they were going to be. But then I actually feel like it was impossible with the amount of hype mm. behind it. They were never I know. going to. And the amount of like, I don't know, analysis that people had. I was like, it really could have gone any way. Like, I think with Oppenheimer was a bit more predictable. I was like, I know it's going to be about the bomb. like, <laughs> But with Barbie, I kind of didn't know what would happen. Like, I was just like, oh... Like, but I think it was really good. I think they're both like solid four star films, but I don't think they'd be fives for me. But they're both very good. I'm really glad. Do you have a five star film actually? My five star films would probably be um, The Truman Show, Spider Man into Spider Verse. Um, what's the other one? Call Me by Your Name. I love that film. Um, mm. 
Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and that is a good one I there's like this uh, series um, it's called like the Before series it's like oh like yeah like Before, before sunset. sunset yeah before I, Sunrise yeah that's it I've heard of that I've been meaning to watch it yeah I really love those films but um, I don't I think those are my five stories but I think both Barbie and Oppenheimer are really enjoyable and I'm really glad so many people are going out to see them because like no film has done this well in yeah, years it's, it's like the event yeah. of going to the cinema like it's a big deal and like all ages are going to see it and it's just amazing like there's such like diverse like non-sequel films like they're both original that like people are yeah. like going out to see them as opposed to like no shade on Marvel because I think Marvel are pretty decent for the most part but just like this idea of like like 20th superhero film in a series I think as well what's kind of interesting about it is like it's the last it was sort of like the last films before the strike and we don't know how long the strike will go on for for the actors yeah I know like even the way that they went they stopped doing promo because yeah. they had to um, help out with the strike these might be the last big like blockbusters yeah. before the strike is over it was like the perfect way to end it I think like a cultural yeah. phenomenon to like start the strikes and know, be the yeah. end of like that era of cinema that was very amazing timing like yeah. I feel like there's symbolism there there is symbolism because people were saying they're almost kind of similar like the message behind the films both deal with like existentialism but like in different realms I was like, it's very true yeah, it was so true. funny like it could be like see Oppenheimer first and then Barbie to like you know just end things on a lighter yeah. way and they're like Barbie is full of like I know philosophical questions that aren't going to be comfortable literally like I came out of Barbie a little bit depressed <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, now, though with the success of these, I'd say, I don't know, Warner Bros. have been doing so badly with their money this year. Like, they're in so much debt. Like, I'd say they're so glad that they won this. They're probably pissed that they gave Nolan, like, the lift. (laughs) It's like a little petty, like, we won, but at what cost? (laughs) We won the battle, but did we win the war? Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think it'd be very interesting at the Oscars next year, because they'll be up against each other again. I know because the Academy, they want to bring their viewers up. They're just going to do a Barbenheimer 2.0 and they'll be like, oh my God, who's going to beat who? I think Ryan Gosling and Robert Downey Jr. will be against each other. I don't know if Margot will get nominated. I'd say she'll get nominated for lead because I think Barbie's a big enough film, but I don't think she'll get it because I think she was great. But Yeah, like her her character, a bit like Robert or Rob for not having that much emotion. Like I feel like she was definitely going through all of the emotions and discovering that, but we weren't like... I don't know. I thought she was good, but I was like, I'm not that attached. Yeah. Like, you could be beaten by another lead in another film. I'm really interested to see what's next for Christopher Nolan now, because, like, it's kind of touched every branch of film. I'd love to see him do a horror film. He hasn't done that yet, I think. Mm. Um, I'd say he'd come up with something weird. <laughs> yeah, like, he'd, that'd be fucked up. Like Terrifying. Um, and I think Greta Gerwig, she's directing Narnia next, which I know some people aren't happy with because they're like, no, let her stay indie because we don't want to lose her to big films. But like, I think she's allowed to do what she wants at this stage. She's yeah. made a great number of indie films like Frances Ha, Lady Bird. There's another one I haven't seen, um, but... I know, and I'm also like, I think she kind of left the indie film category when she made Little Women. I'm like, yeah, guys, she, yeah, she's been in the big leagues. But like, they're like Little Women indie, so like they're like also yeah, like only I read them. <laughs> so. It's based on a classic novel, but um, what I find really interesting is Warner Bros. have apparently fifty Mattel movies in production. I saw that. Yeah, yeah in like, pre-production, they're trying to do ones for Bernie they're trying to do like movies for all these different toys and everyone's like 
this is not what we meant when yeah. a movie that isn't a sequel and isn't in the Marvel universe can do well. Because now you're making a Mattel universe. Like, And the thing is as well, they don't seem to realise that Barbie is a rare phenomenon. They're not going to get it for every toy yeah. film. Like, sorry, I've no, I don't know what He-Man is. I'm not going to. Guys, just stop being so transparent with your money grabs. Like, you can just pay writers. I think... Come on the funniest thing about it. I have a feeling for the Mattel films though they're going to try to do every single one of them in a really like subversive self-aware way because Daniel Kaluuya who um he played the lead character in Get Out he was in Black Panther as well I think he was in Skins he was in Skins yeah, yeah he's yeah. in like Generation 1 yeah he's an OG he is producing Bernie but he says like he's like it's going to be like an A24 style type film for adults and we're trying to recapture like the millennial angst because Bernie is like this character who like we all had in our childhood and then he just disappears into the shadows and he's so misunderstood like they're still going to lean in <laughs> no <laughs> they're going to make Bar- Bernie like an alcoholic <laughs> <laughs> Like, they're definitely going to do it about, like, probably mental illness. It'll probably be, like, this person, like, who has this imaginary friend to cope and really they're just someone who's, like, really depressed. And yeah. I was, like... And, like... Or they're going to make him, like, a deadbeat dad. Like, yeah. Oh, like, I think it's going to be funny, but it's just... I, I just know they're not going to play any of these films straight. They're just going to be, like, adult retellings. Like, like if you made The Sims a film and The Sims was, like, a horror film because, yeah. like... I want someone to do that though. Mm, Christopher Nolan, get Chris, on that. I think that so. would be so good because they do really weird shit in the sense. And it's like you can make someone stand there for days and then they like die of like dehydration terrible. That and one meme of your one on the computer and her baby's on the floor <laughs> yeah. on fire. Yeah, like that. Like that's horror. That is actually pure horror. Like she wants to save her baby, but she can't because she has to type these things. Oh, a great metaphor for um, social media addiction, which Christopher Nolan hates because he doesn't have a computer. We're, we've come full circle. But I think that's my take for the whole Barbenheimer. I think it's just been um, just a moment. It's really been a fun moment to have. I yeah. don't think there's been one like for years and I don't think there'll be one like for a while. Mm. And um, I hope it just opens the doors for more original films I don't know if it will because technically I suppose they're not like original because Barbie is Barbie and yeah. Oppenheimer was a real person Um, but like I know maybe <laughs> more adaptations of really good books yeah I just really hope that the amount of people that are going to see Barbie and Oppenheimer will take chances for more original films in the future yeah I know because there honestly have been a lot in cinemas recently but it's just like the marketing kind of falls down where there's very little promotion or there's very little hype and it's like I don't know is it that they just don't give them the budget or is it that like Marvel kind of dominates like whenever there's a Marvel movie in every other screen is nearly empty yeah literally it's like people don't really know about it like there might be one or two big names attached to it but if there's like maybe B or C list actors then there's no real draw and it's like What's happening, guys? Like, we used to have marketing teams. Yeah. <laughs> like, but people used to go out and see indie films. Like, and I know neither of these films are indie, but I just hope they open kind of a door for, like, you know, like a lot of men went to see Barbie where they might not have before. A lot of people went mm. to see Oppenheimer who usually wouldn't see a three-hour biopic. I know, yeah. I was yeah. even thinking, I was like, if everyone I knew wasn't making such a big deal out of Oppenheimer, I love Killian Murphy, but I wouldn't have gone see it. Like, a three-hour historical drama. Yeah. Whoa. So I think it, it just shows that audiences, like, can... I don't want to say be challenged, but, like, they can stay out of their comfort zone. And hopefully yeah. they'll just, like, open the gate for more films like that. Definitely. I really hope so. Yeah. I even think, like, 
I have such a bad attention span of playing TikTok and Twitter <laughs> and social media. But I think I'm honestly going to make an effort to watch movies and go see them. Oh, that's nice. I know, I know. Like, worked in a cinema for about ten months, it's went to see two movies. Sometimes trauma, <laughs> sometimes trauma hurts. Sometimes you shake when you walk yeah. in the door. <laughs> you just feel a shiver and you just know someone's, like, bought a, like, a popcorn box or something. You're like... <gasps> That like, child just <laughs> dropped their large popcorn. They didn't pick up their rubbish and throw it in the bin. This is a horror story for another day. I think <laughs> that wraps us up for today. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, I had a great time talking about the films and I hope if you've seen them that you enjoy them a lot or if you have any dissenting opinions you can also have them too. They're up to you. But yeah, thank you so much to Eleanor for coming on. Lovely to talk to. Really insightful and interesting person. Would love to have you do like <laughs> and analyze like a million other films sometimes so i'll Thank have to so have much. you back here oh but um yeah do you have any parting words before you death to sam levinson first of all and <laughs> joking joking and start um kind of just watching more long form media maybe yeah some, challenge yourself yeah maybe challenge yourself with like a 10 minute video essay and work YouTube, your way up and you don't need a subway surfers video next to it <laughs> and work your way up to a three hour historical drama you'll get there i believe in you follow the ways of christopher nolan and don't have a computer or a phone or whatever else he doesn't have just don't communicate with people don't have it social interaction basically yeah yeah so that's it that's the episode for today um i hope all of you guys really enjoyed that and next week i'm really delighted to announce that i have on neve kerman who is a local actress from cork and who has a load of work coming up that i can't wait to see and i'm looking forward to meeting her so i hope you guys enjoy that too so yeah that wraps us today thanks everyone love you bye <laughs> <laughs> she's holding a gun to my head right now again. yeah that's what <laughs> <laughs> say goodbye eleanor eleanor say bye twice if you're in trouble <laughs> okay bye guys love you see you have a great week